Hi, this is Michelle Weidenbenner, your Chief Hope Builder. If you are here, it's because you have a loved one with a substance use disorder and you're looking for support. Well, you're in the right place because I help you along your journey um, to, to introduce you to different people, different experts in the field, and to share hope with you because so often we get stuck and don't know how to live our lives without trying to fix our addicted loved ones. So I am the author of Moms Letting Go Without Giving Up, Seven Steps to Self-Recovery. And recently I will be launching Unhackable Moms of Addicted Loved Ones, Closing the Gap Between Havoc and Hope. This is a 30-day program that can help you go from havoc to hope and learn how to take charge of your own life. Think of it as a leadership book for moms who are in the same situation that I've been in and out of for so many years. Um, Please find my books at Amazon or anywhere that they are sold. If you would like to join us in a private Facebook group, you can find us at Moms Letting Go in Facebook. And um, if you'd like to join us in the tribe for more sisterhood and support, just go to Teachable. That's momslettinggo.teachable.com and find us there. But regardless, you're in the right place right now and we want to encourage you on your hope journey. We want to be here for you. Um, I have a group of care team members who are all where you have been or are today. So we want the best for you. God bless. Thank you and welcome. Hi, this is Michelle, your Chief Hope Builder, and today I have Matt McLean with us. He is the host of The Recombobulated Life, a former lawyer, and he sits in a very interesting spot and talks about mental wellness, and and he's a mindset coach. So I met Matt um, scrolling through Instagram because he talks about bipolar, and my loved one has this disorder and I want to connect with her better. And so I started listening to Matt and learning about bipolar disorder and what that means and what the symptoms are and what a person can do for that about that. So um, just I'm just going to read a few excerpts from your um, podcast, Matt. Are yeah. you Are you longing to come out of the shadows to live your authentic life? Do you want to find joy in your everyday? Like, yeah, who doesn't want to find that, right? (laughs) Do you want to find, follow, and fulfill your passion and purpose? You are so much more than your mistakes, failures, or mental illness. You've got so much more to contribute, and Matt is here to help you do that. So help me welcome Matt. So nice to have you here. Can't wait to dig into some of this with you. How are you today? I am wonderful, um, and thank you for having me. I think this is the wonders of of social media, right? The good side of it. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. I, I, you know, I obviously, when we connected, I got to look into some of the things you were doing and and follow up and listen to some of the material you're putting out there. And I just have to say, I think it's really wonderful. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, as a parent, and I don't, I, you know, I kind of leave a lot of their privacy. 
to it, but I've gone through things with, with my own daughters and, and, you know, fortunately it's, it's stuff that I was, um, had some good resources to deal with because I'd been through it with myself, but taking them through the system with, um, with their own mental health yeah. uh, issues and, and, and doing that. So I just think it's wonderful that you're out there helping parents understand. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I try. And I, it's kind of like you on my journey. And as I'm learning, I'm just inviting people into this space so they can help moms learn because knowledge um, with action is power, right? When, mm -hmm. when you can take the knowledge and do something about it. And so that's kind of the space I'm coming from. And so many moms I was sharing with Matt have children who have a mental health disorder and then that leads to substance use disorder. And typically the two go hand in hand, like one will start, but it's usually having that dual diagnosis, like um, anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, like so many people are trying to self-medicate and in doing that, they become, their brain becomes diseased and then it's like they can't stop. And it's, it's really hard for moms to know sometimes what came first. So what Matt does on Instagram, and by the way, how do they find you on Instagram? Uh, it's uh, at the Matt McLean. So the, the and then Matt and McLean is Mac lean. <laughs> okay. But it's M-A-C and then yeah. C, right? Or not yeah, just one C. Yeah. It's T-H-E-M-A-T-T-M-A-C-L-E-A-N. Yes. Okay. Scottish spelling. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So now we know he's Scottish, but in, in his um, Instagram reels, he talks about, this is my bipolar. And then he'll talk about something that's going on in his life. And he'll describe, you know, what he's going through, what he's been through. And it's, it's very informative. So I welcome you to um, visit that or follow him or go to his podcast. But what can you share with moms today about bipolar disorder if their child um, is struggling with something like that? Maybe you can just talk about what it is first so they can identify with that. Yeah, so uh, bipolar, and I'm not a doctor, so this is just no, I'm speaking to somebody who's been through the, the treatment uh, plan on it. And it, as it's been described to me, it's sort of a spectrum. They used to be very big on, is it psychothymic disorder? Is it type two? Is it type one? Is it rapid function? And, and those are important somewhat, but as it's been described to me, it's more of a, a continuum. And it starts on the one end where it's uh, cyclothymic, where you've got swings that you can't really control, but they're not horrible. It's like bipolar light. Okay. <laughs> and then... And then you move into, and those can get more and more severe. And it's this, it's this variation where for me, I would have longer periods of, so my, my swings were longer periods of time. Some people, and this would be horrible, have in a day where it's, where oh. they're back and forth, where it's rapid cycling, but you will go from this um, hypomania and mania are this, like, this is the reason why people do go off their drugs is because hypomania and mania before you go over the top on it, it feels really great. Like you feel this over the top confidence. I felt like Superman. I felt like I could do anything. I felt like wow. I could fix anything. I could go for days and weeks with almost no sleep. And it's just this, you know, it is wow. this like super feels super like a power. Superpower. 
but it's also because you think that way and because you're um, and, and you start sort of, you can have some delusional features, which I started getting, but it's, you know, you think things are, are different than they are because you're okay. in this elevated state. Wow. And then for me, that would lead to, that's one of the things I started drinking for because uh, you know, you're up like this and you're like, you oh, wanna... I need to get some sleep. Yeah. So you'd, you know, you'd booze up to try to, to sleep. And then you'd go from that really high, high that really felt great. <laughs> and, and then you'd go into a, a full-on depression where, you know, you feel like you can't get out of bed. Oh. You feel like there's no hope. And, and for me, I was drinking then to try to get loosen back. up and try to get going. Okay. And, and I really went with, because I'm loud and, and sort of a outgoing person, when I would get depressed, people would be in my face about it all the time, which, you know, people who have dealt with depression, sometimes that's the worst thing, but you just okay. don't want it. So I would fake it and the booze and you know, and the drinking yeah. helped with that. Right. Yeah. I have yeah. heard that a lot where, you know, they would say, well, socially drinking really helped me be funny and come out and and, and be more social where maybe they were typically introverted. And, um, but I, I love hearing you talk about the highs and lows. And, and I have heard the difference between bipolar one, bipolar two. My loved one thought she had bipolar two. And um, because hers was more very depressed, couldn't get out of bed, where I know some um, mm -hmm. I've known some people that manic and they're like, they never sleep. And I'm just marveled at that. Like, how do you yeah. do that? Um, and so do you feel like there was a certain age where it just kind of, you noticed it happening in your life or was it just so gradual that you, you, you don't know when it first started? Um, a, a little. So for me, a lot of it is retrospect. You know, like hindsight is twenty twenty. Yes. So looking back, I can see it was it was early twenties. That's sort of a typical age for for men, when it will start developing late teens, early twenties, and um, mine. And I this is something that I actually I realized this sitting across from the um, assistant district attorney, going through a timeline, and mine really tracks concussions, and oh, mine got really fine. bad after my last concussion, which um, all of my other ones were like, not cool, but at least for something, I was playing hockey, I played college hockey. Oh, wow. My last one was I was uh, snowboarding with my kids at, and I was on like the little kitty hill, but I wasn't <laughs> wearing a helmet and I just kept falling on the same spot. But after that concussion, which was a really bad one, I had like lost a year of memory for a little while. Oh my symptoms really went off. So, huh. um, and that's the thing, you can have bipolar disorder at a certain level, and then there are things, there are tr things that can trigger it to move up. As I understand it, there's, you know, substance use, substance abuse can be one of those things because so, you were, so you were able to look brain. at the timeline and see yeah. how, oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was very interesting to go back and do that because, you know, you could see some decisions in, you know, when I was in law school, 
you're already racking up debt. And all of a sudden I just decided, oh my God, I need to have an SUV. I had a perfectly good car paid off, like no logical reason. And I needed to do it. And it was like this compulsion to go do it. Yeah. But, but then, so it wasn't just that all the time. And then, you know, there would be other things where you get sort of a goal focused activity where I'm going to do this huge thing, this grandiose thing. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to start a company. Yeah. But then when your depression would hit, like all of it would fall apart. Yeah. You didn't have the follow-up. Right. Yeah. There's, Um, there was like no consistent structure Yeah. where you get up every day at one time, go to bed every day. Yeah. I've seen that too, where very sporadic. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something that they call, um, there's other things and I've talked, the reason why I did this, you know, it's mental health awareness month. And when I talk to, um, you know, classes, companies, groups, a lot of the questions are, what could someone have done to help you? Yeah. What could someone have done to see it? How do you know? How do you? And, and it's a little, I think my answers are sometimes, you know, don't feel all that great because it's not, you know, sometimes, you know, with mental illness, it's not always like, here, take this test, you have it, right. or, you know, I can see it very clearly, it can hide. And for me, when I was in my um, hypomanic or manic phases, well, I was in law school, and then I was practicing law well, if I've got all this energy and all this creativity and confidence, yeah, I could walk into court. I could come up with great arguments. I could work all night to get ready for it. I, and then from a business standpoint, I was billing a ton of hours. So the partners at the law firm were happy. Yeah. And then when I was down, I could just close my office door and oh. people would either assume I was working or, you know, he was working hard. So he's just taking some Making time. up for his... Time. yeah so so it would just hide oh. um so yeah it's not yeah. like people could could know but but what's interesting is you say that but then when you when you also say you've been able to look back and do the timeline so I feel like I'm all about listening to understand so mm-hmm. if if you had shared what was going on and when you finally did that's when it was eye-opening. But I think for us, you know, our loved ones aren't, first of all, if they're in active addiction, they're not actually able to look at their lives like um, with any sort of um, calendar or timeline. But I do, I, I still say, you know, if we can get people to talk, that's when they'll heal. And yes. And that's, and, and that's, so my, what I want to do is talk about these little things because it can hide or it can get confused when you have a comorbidity like a alcohol or a drug addiction. And it's hard to see when you're the person having it. Yeah, you can't. You don't see. And, and when you're a loved one, these things don't always come on real quickly. So it, it, you know, you kind of see it over time. And that was why I wanted to do this longer thing where it's like sometimes it's talking really fast and it's really the pressure voice where you're tripping over yourself yeah that's one of the things one of the things is these really impulsive decisions um it's the it's the depression it is the substance abuse because in, it, from what i've seen a lot of people and you know i'm on the i'm on the governor's council for mental health and awesome. so and we do a, i spend a lot of time on that with the criminal justice side of it 
And uh-huh. it's amazing because these people are in there for drugs or for violence. But yeah. when they look back, they can see there was a mental illness at the beginning of it. And then the substance abuse came in to help treat it. Right. So I wanted to talk about sort of a holistic approach of what it could look like. And, you know, there because there were parts of it that were like, hey, kids, we're going to go to all five Disney parks in two days and it's going to be super fun. And we did it. And my little kids were like, this is great. Right? But it didn't make sense. And, our, you know, my feet were like. <laughs> I, I feel exhausted just hearing that. Like, there's no way I could have kept up yeah, with that. But it's, but it's for a lot of these things, you have to look at a constellation of things. And you have to see all of these things where then you can see the pattern. Yeah. And, and one of the things for me with the drinking, because uh, I don't drink anymore. Okay. And I was, I felt, I feel very fortunate that I, I got treated, diagnosed and treated before I developed a physical addiction. Yeah. I was very clearly abusing it. So it was not, um, that wasn't a question. But once I was able to get my brain calm and when I found the right meds, and I don't, I mean, I, I believe in medication for mental illness. Not everyone agrees, but yeah. But I don't think that's the only thing. I think you have to take a whole mindfulness sure. approach. And, and everybody's different. Yeah. Yeah. But once that, when I got that, my brain literally was like, oh. it just quieted. And wow. then I didn't need right. any help right. with anything else because it, it was this, it's like, where's the underlying cause? And it's, is it one thing or the other? And that's what's hard because when these two things, they mask each other and they, and yeah. that's why you really do have to look at the wider picture. Right. And, and I think a lot of times moms are just reeling from the sting of the hurt because they, mm-hmm. for some reason, they're all like blaming, not always, but blaming themselves or feeling guilty. They get so caught up in like their own part of their child's story and the child is like please don't do that this is me this has nothing to do with you but moms aren't able to like sometimes take a step back and not be emotionally attached to where they can logically look at you know the patterns in their child's life and and actually know what came first um for us our son moved out when he was 17 and we weren't really sure what was going on we just thought he was a typical teenager wanting his independence and trying out different things. Now I, he struggles with anxiety, but not um, bipolar, but still you, it's almost like we're not even around our kids enough to look at them mm-hmm. um, objectively uh, to, to know, or to actually see the symptoms or understand what's going on. Um, but I love yep. I love that you're helping with the government council because sometimes I, I'd love for you to speak about what do you recommend moms do to be advocates for their kids when they go to jails or prisons and need their psych meds? Like, is there something they can do that maybe they're yeah. not doing about that? So what, one of the reasons why um, to, to take one step back when you were talking about that frustration as a parent or even as a person who's dealing with this, the exercise that I found most helpful was essentially making like a timeline. 
what what are the things where let's start with my teenage years and what were the things I did and what are these activities that I remember and then you sort of piece it together and it's not perfect you know memories are different yeah. but it was it was doing that longer step process that right. okay there do seem to be some patterns here mm. and my patterns led to in my in my in more manic periods I'd started a company I, mean, I left my law firm a year after making partner that's one of those sort of hallmark bipolar decisions it was impulsive oh. it made no sense because one I had just made partner which is my goal right and, and then, then once I you went, did you didn't want it and I started a, I was a litigator so I was going to court I was sort of fighting battles I was it, it wasn't dramatic I was fight I was keeping the world safe for corporate America as I like to joke about but um, <laughs> I wasn't a crusader, but I, I then started an investment management firm. I had no connection to investment management. Started this company and, you know, it didn't go great. One, the investment team that came over got sued. Oh. And two, we were going into, it was like late 2006. So then 2007, 2000, you know, it was just bad timing and the company never did great. So when we came time to, I'd thrown all my money into it, stupid, made no sense, illogical, yeah. um, like liquidated a 401k and all these things. Oh. And then when all, I put all my money in, I, I was convinced I had to save this company, even though it was literally staffed with people who are brilliant financial minds. I'm like, well, I'm just so good. I'm just so important. that wow. I'm the only one can, So I would move money around in the company and basically i was taking money from a uh, from a company that wasn't doing well and i was putting it back in the company as my capital call so again no logic there right yeah but yeah. so eventually you know it comes up i turn myself in and it's so you know here's the other thing with the legal system it takes a long time. oh yeah this is not an immediate no. thing and and when you're in a recovery phase and this is something for parents that i think is really important to know your kid can be on a really healthy path and then the DA calls and says, hey, I need this or I'm following up with this or I might follow charges. Okay. And it's just, right. Triggered. So I eventually pled guilty to a felony. We can have a whole separate episode of what yeah. a felony means to people's lives. Yeah. But, um, yeah. and I knew, so I had all this, I was healthy for years at this point, medicated, treated i knew the legal system better than most people right and i knew going in i knew the day i was going in, the day i was going to report and i did i thought i was doing everything i could i had my doctor's office fax in the forms here's you medicine. mean fax in the forms to the jail where you were going to go fax in the forms to the jail yeah to okay. the House of corrections and and not everyone has the resource to do that and it no. still took me two weeks Wow. And the thing that made a big difference, and this is where parents can really step in. Okay. Is I had um, my wife really advocated for me oh. because I'm, I'm an inmate. Right. <laughs> you know, they're not, and these weren't, I, you know, I wasn't in a, I was in, I was in jail. I wasn't in prison. I wasn't in some horrible condition. It wasn't great, but yeah, um, I had you know, I only have a limited ability to advocate for myself inside. Right. So I needed, you know, 
my wife was advocating. She was calling the House of Correction. She was calling my lawyer who was also calling House of Correction. And that's what it took. To get your meds, to, your psych yeah. meds into, wow, yeah. Yeah, so many of them are struggling without their psych meds. Oh, mm -hmm. so yeah. if we become advocates for our children who are in there, and, and this is something that moms, if you're, I, this is so important. I just want to pause right here and say, listen now, if you haven't up until now, but so often they're so burned out at this point. They're like, you mm -hmm. know, if they're in jail, they can just stay there and I'm so done. But this is the time that you can get involved because they need you as their advocate. And these are some of the things that you can do. And, you know, even to write to the judge um, or the prosecuting attorney, I don't know all the words of the, the correct legal system either, but just to become an advocate for your child to get what they need to, mm -hmm. for their mental health, for their overall health. Although I had somebody say once, Michelle, it's jail. You know, they're not going to have a pillow and, and really great cushy surroundings. Um, and I get we that. Pillows. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, it sounded like my, when my son was in there, I, I don't know yeah. what he had or he was in isolation. I don't know. It was, oh, it's, it's not great. It's no, not great. so, but you know, go ahead. And it's not, you know, one of the things, the, one of the reasons why I wanted to get involved uh, after was one, making sure what, what can we do to give, give uh, prisoners, inmates better access and better coverage. And, and, you know, parents, I, anyone who's dealt with mental illness, getting, um, getting, finding treatment providers is hard. Finding yes. treatment providers for minors is crazy hard. Yes. So, so finding treatment providers in a prison system can be hard. And we're, oh. you know, we're working with the state budget to get more right. resources there. We're working on ways to get the medication uh, get an improved thing and the other thing we're doing is for people on the way out can we get them prescriptions can we get them set up with with insurance or state benefits right um, these things so that we're not keep you know so we don't keep sending people back in right. but I think one thing that that occurred to me is even though it's not perfect this is something we've talked about on the committee even though the system isn't perfect if you can have somebody helping advocate on the outside Mm -hmm. It is a unique opportunity because you can't use, you can't do yes. all the other problems that get in the way of the mental illness. You do have that advantage. Yeah. So if you can advocate and really fight to get them the mental health yes. treatment, it's a really and, great opportunity. Yeah. Or, and I'm not saying and, go to jail. No, no, but <laughs> No, but and this is what I tell them, you know, have you tried this? Have you tried that writing to, you know, finding out who the prosecuting attorney heard, who's, who's involved in this and who do you have to write to? Um, but you're right, like in jail, but what, what we tell, we, we talk about is that abstinence in jail or prison, if they're not getting drugs in there, and I know sometimes they can, but abstinence is not the same thing as recovery. It's right, not... Right. It's just, it's just, you're still never learning the coping skills mm -hmm. or doing the timeline 
or understanding your own mental health disorder and what you need and how to cope with that. You're not getting the care. And I think it, it's what drives me because it's like humanity, right? Like mm-hmm. we should all be able to get um, our needs met. And this, it, it's, it's a part of our society. Hello, it's been broken for a really long time. This whole jail thing, you know, you can't punish the pain out of people. It's not going to work this way. Yeah. So what can we do to, um, you know, just like you said, be advocates, but just the the numbers of people that are in jail oh yeah and the numbers of people that are in jail that have a mental illness right it's huge and and you know you look at the cause and effect of it Mm -hmm. uh, and then you know you layer you were talking about parents having that blame yeah there's your blame there's shame Mm -hmm. because you know a lot of this stuff is very public yeah there's stigma and 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 one of the things where i think there can be some tension is as the person going through the mental illness or the person going mm-hmm. through the, the criminal issue, there's shame, there's embarrassment, yeah. there's guilt, there's yeah. frustration, you know, I, I, you know, I hopelessness think, sometimes hopelessness. They just don't think that it's ever going to change. So why should I even right. try? So yeah. you've got these two, two frustrated parties mm-hmm. that are frustrated for their own reasons. And, and, you know, I always try to think about the parent-child relationship or the spouse relationship is like a Venn diagram. And you just have to remember like this, this part's down, you know, one circles them, one circles me and there is overlap, but let's sort of let there be a little separation. Yeah. For, for those who don't know what a Venn diagram is, it's like (laughs) three circles, right. And they overlap. And so some of those, yeah, that's so true. I totally got a visual on that. Yeah. Um, so, um, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I'm <laughs> bouncing around a little, but I didn't really say a whole lot about the head trauma and the injury part of, mm-hmm. you know, I remember taking my son, like when he was a teenager to doctors and they would always ask me, you know, did, did he ever hit his head or was he in an accident where he hit his head, any head trauma, they would always ask me that question. I always wondered why and Mm -hmm. never really realized. So can you point to any studies that they've done on head trauma and mental health disorders? Is there anything? I I don't, there is a big study that came out of Europe. Um, I think it was out of Norway, but, and I can send you a link to it. I can look it up uh, where they looked at traumatic brain injuries yeah and which can be anything from a concussion to sort of the big major ones and what they found is there was a huge connection between traumatic brain injuries and depression and bipolar disorder and anxiety these mood disorders where um, it didn't necessarily cause it although it could have yeah but you may have had a pre-existing thing that was at more of a, you know, sort of a reasonable level. Yeah. And then that tipped it over. I mean, it was for what happened to me when I could see it was like a, it was like a. It a just took off. Point. It took off. Yeah. Uh, and, and it really did. It was, you have to look at all those things. In the play. But I almost think sometimes like what came first, because if you're, if you're in a manic state and you have these grandiose 
ideas that you can do and all these superpower things, it often leaves, leads to a lot of risk-taking taking type of activity. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen this in people where, you know, they just, um, they will do something that is just so super risky that lends itself to injury. <laughs> and so it's like, well, what came first? Like, did the injury come first or did, or did they both just happen? And then once the injury happened, it, it even escalated the manic part of it. I don't know. That's what makes these things really tough. And, and, and it could be a little bit of both. It could be, I had a head injury and it made, you know, I have bipolar disorder. I'm in a manic phase. I'm doing, I'm deciding that I need to you know, do some crazy thing. I hurt my head and then it gets worse. Yeah. And, and I think the important thing, and this is what I really love with, with what you've been doing. It's, it's at least let's have an awareness, right? That it, it isn't necessarily just the drinking. It isn't necessarily just the drugs. It isn't necessarily just the the mental illness it you have to look at all these things right. and they're going to layer together differently for each person yeah but it's just like that venn diagram <laughs> yes but it's and when you're in it yeah you know when you're in it it is hard to to see that no but if you can step back a yeah. little bit and that's why i like that timeline because you can yeah it's you great know, it, it's a way to see the way you know things connect yeah um, yeah, and, right. and it really does make a difference. But because yeah, when you're in the middle of it, you're just, you just can't. No. Your emotions are all and, over the place, and moms can't see it either because they're in the middle of it in a different way. And that's why sometimes it takes. I'll say, you need to see a counselor. You need to get into support. And these are the kind mm-hmm. of things we talk about: is family patterns, but also looking at the timelines and what came first, and just being more aware of what was going on and what is going on. So for, for those of you in the podcast, you can't see, but on my YouTube channel, you'll be able to see there is something behind you, Jeff, that yeah. is, yes, like, what is that draw, or Matt, sorry, I called you Jeff, I don't know why, Matt, what, who, what is that picture about? Tell us. I can't, I, I can't remember the artist, but it's, it, it's a, it's a painting from the 60s, um, that it's an artist who was contemporary with uh, Mark Chagall, so it, it was one of my favorite artists, but it has sort of the same features. And honestly, it's um, there's a website I cannot remember it, but it's like like auctioning stuff from uh, estate sales. Okay. And my wife was really into it for a while. So yeah, we ended up. I like it. I do too, but I don't know why. I think, um, so for those of you who can't see it, yeah, (laughs) I mean, I I can't tell if it's a man or woman really, but it's just a face and um, with big eyes and a big nose and big lips. And it's just almost like a character drawing, but it's not. Um, And anyway, it's kind of fun, but I just thought there was a story behind it, but guess not. I I can, I can, I can't remember the artist name, but I can. I can send it to you later when I, okay. yeah. my wife is the, my wife and one of my daughters are the artistic ones in the family. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's great. It's really fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, um, for being with us today. I so welcome moms to really reach out and learn more about bipolar. And you can do that by following Matt McLean, either his podcast, The Recombobulated Life, 
or on Instagram. Um, he's, you know, at the Matt McLean, right? McLean, I'm yeah. saying it wrong. And, and my one thing to, to all parents dealing with it, because I, I haven't had to deal with it with addiction because of mental health, be sure you step back. Be sure you take some time for you. Yeah. And and that's hard when you're a parent because everything's focused on kids, but make sure you're taking care of yourself because if you're not okay, it's going to be a lot harder to be that advocate and be that person. Who can well, out. yeah, which leads really well into my book that I'm launching here um, in a couple of weeks. And in this book, it's a self-leadership book for moms, but it's all about how can you find your dreams if you're so fixated on helping your child and you're in the chaos. And so it's how to become unhackable um, and going from havoc to hope. So yeah, I'm excited about that. It's a 30-day program. I'm hoping that moms will want to start their own little business in a box and bring it into their communities too. So that would be, because I, I can't fix this epidemic by myself, but I thought, all right, if I could go out and get a million moms fired up and empowered to do something, then we could, and if they can like, like you said, like, I love your bio on your podcast where you want to live your authentic life. Like we all have gifts. And if we're stuck in the havoc, we are not using our gifts the way God intended mm -hmm. for us to. So anyway, that I could get off of my little soapbox here. So I won't, but um, yeah, I, I'm, that's why I do what I do. I'm really passionate about that. So it's kind of like creating my legacy before I, before I, before I go, I've, I've got to do something and this is it. So keep, keep doing it. Yeah. Well, thanks again. I am going to, pause, to stop this recording then. God bless.